This is Crossroads with Clayton King. One thing that we have to remember about Jesus is that he was not only fully God, he was fully man. And as a human, Jesus experienced every emotion that you've ever gone through. Think about that. In this message, we're gonna look at how Jesus was actually betrayed by one of his closest friends. That betrayal led to his arrest and his crucifixion. But the end of the story was his resurrection. So in this message, you're gonna see the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And I hope it will prove to you that Jesus understands how you feel because whatever you feel, he's felt it too. Let's look at the scripture together. We're gonna see what John records as he tells us the story of the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples before the cross. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 16 through 30, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. And then Jesus quotes from Psalm 41, verse 19. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as uh, Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money bag, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to go give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, and let's leave that scripture up there, guys, he went out and it was night. Now, I want you to see that scripture, especially that last sentence, and it was night. The feeling in the upper room was somber. 
Even though Jesus knew he would be raised from the dead and there would be a reason to celebrate. And even though Jesus is about to tell the disciples, from now on, as often as you take this cup and this bread, do it in remembrance and celebration of me. This moment was a somber and sad moment. And John, who writes this version of these events, is full of symbolism in his gospel. Going all the way back to John chapter one, John uses this imagery of nighttime and darkness. In John chapter one, John would write, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and lived among us and the light has appeared to all men, but men did not receive it because they loved darkness for their deeds are evil. Look, and when, 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 when Judas goes out to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, by the way, 30 pieces of silver, according to the Old Testament, was the amount of money someone had to pay if their ox or their animal were to trample someone else's slave or servant underfoot and kill them or gore them to death. 30 pieces of silver was required as the payment for a slave or a servant, the exact amount of money that Judas betrayed Jesus for because Jesus is a servant before he is our savior. So Judas goes out to betray Jesus and John says it was nighttime. In other words, it looked as if darkness would prevail. It looked as if nighttime would never see the break of day. But we know because we're on the, come on, the other side of resurrection, we know that Jesus did die, but Jesus did not stay dead. We know that sinful men betrayed Jesus so that Jesus could save sinful men and women. We know that Rome and the Jews did their best to take Jesus' life, but they did not take it from him. He laid it down because it was his to give. It may look like night, but the sun is coming through. Daytime is on its way. We believe in the crucifixion, but we celebrate the resurrection. Now I want you to see that in this passage of scripture, Jesus has invited 12 men to the table with him. We'll look at four. First of all, I want us to look at the people that Jesus invited to the table and see where we connect with them. Who did Jesus invite to the table? That's the question today, because he's still inviting these kinds of people. Who did Jesus invite to the table? First of all, one who loved Jesus. Jesus invited one who loved him to the table. He wasn't the only one who loved him, but that's how he's described. Actually, that's how he describes himself, because John, who was there, who was sitting literally right beside Jesus at the table, describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself. And so John is not only one of the 12 disciples, but he's also a part of Jesus' three best friends. Jesus had a big circle, and then Jesus had a smaller circle. John was a member of that small circle of friends. Peter, James, and John, all three of them, they were Jesus' closest friends. But even out of that circle of three, Jesus had one best friend, one that he trusted, one that he loved. He loved John. He loved John in a special way. It doesn't mean that Jesus picks favorites. Jesus doesn't pick favorites. Jesus loves everybody, but Jesus had a special relationship with John. So much so that John, the only disciple who was there at the cross on the day Jesus was crucified, is given charge by Jesus to take care of Mary after Jesus is crucified and resurrected. So Jesus invites people to the table who love him. And that's 
That's a lot of us today. If you love Jesus, he's got a seat for you at the table. If you're a Christian, he's got a seat prepared for you at the table. If you're a member of his church, a part of his body, not because you love Jesus, not because you went to Sunday school as a kid, not because you've memorized the Beatitudes, not because you tithe, not because you have good attendance, you have a seat at the table the same way I have a seat at the table. The grace of God. That's how we get invited to this table. We don't earn it. And here's the struggle for those of us who like John are ones who love Jesus. Here's the struggle. We can become so used to the table that we miss what Jesus prepares for us. We can go to church for so long that it just becomes common. We can become so used to the sacred that the sacred becomes ordinary. But Jesus still invites us. And here's what I've learned as one who loves Jesus. I don't love Jesus in and of myself. I love him because he first loved me. Matter of fact, John, who refers to himself in John 13 as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It wasn't just that John loved Jesus, Jesus loved John. They had a special friendship. John would go on to write the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. It's the same John who wrote the gospel, who wrote those books. And in 1 John, John would say this. This is a true statement. We love Jesus because he first loved us. Everything that's wrong with me, everything that's broken in me, everything that's selfish about me, everything that is confusing in my mind, all the struggles, all the things I wrestle with, the mind games I play with myself, the voices I have to wrestle to the ground, the times I have to just say, Jesus, help me. Everything that's wrong with me in my broken, sinful humanity can be fixed, can be repaired, can be restored, and can be redeemed if I will simply just believe that I am fully loved by Jesus. And I won't get to experience the fullness of that restoration until I get to sit at another table in the kingdom of God, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, me in a resurrected body, sitting at a table with Jesus in his resurrected body. I don't know about y'all, look, I love this world. I like living at Anderson. I love good barbecue. I like spring mornings. I like sitting in a deer stand in the fall. I like watching Clemson win national championships. I love good, crisp, cold mornings. I love this world, but I was not meant to live in this world in its current state. I am looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth, a new redeemed creation where all of us who love God will get to sit at a table with Jesus who loves us and we can eat all we want to and there's no calories and no carbs and I don't have to go to the Y and sit in the sauna. Come on, somebody. Let me show you who else is there. So Jesus invites John. Jesus loves John. But, okay, we've, we've talked about John, right? And some of us can relate to John, but most of us, we feel like John occasionally, but, but there's some other feelings we know how broken we are. We know that we don't have it all figured out. We don't feel like we have earned a place at the table. Well, that's good because Jesus also invites one who questioned him. There's one who questioned Jesus at the table. He's not mentioned in John's gospel, but we know he was there because the 12 are there. And among the 12, there was a guy by the name of Thomas. We've heard a lot of stories about Thomas. If you grew up in church world, you know his nickname, Doubting Thomas. One time Thomas had to ask one question and for the rest of his life and for eternity, we all call him Doubting Thomas. And we all know Thomas because after Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus comes back to the upper room, the same room where 
they shared this meal we're just now reading about. We've got Thomas who, who says, um, you guys said you saw Jesus alive, but I'm not gonna believe it unless I can see it for myself. I, I'm not gonna take your word for it. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. He said, unless I can stick my fingers into the holes in his wrist and unless I can plunge my hand into the wound on his side, I won't believe you. And of course, Jesus appeared and he revealed himself to Thomas and he said, see my hands and my feet? Blessed are those who believe even when they don't see. Thomas is also a guy that in the same gospel, gospel of John, Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick and he says, hey, let's go back to Judea. Lazarus is not gonna die, he's just asleep. And all the disciples are like, hold up, wait up, time out, Jesus. The last time we went to Judea, remember? The Jews tried to kill you there. Translation, we don't need to go back there. We don't wanna die. Thomas speaks up and says, let us go with him that we can die by his side. In the same gospel, John records that Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. He says to his disciples, I'm gonna be crucified and then I'm gonna come back from the dead and I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm coming back and I will take you with me so that where I go, you can be there as well. And then Jesus says, and you know the place I'm going and you know how to get there. And Thomas is like, Thomas speaks up. Go read it if you want to in the Gospel of John. Thomas says, uh, hold up, time out. We don't know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. Here's what we know about Thomas. He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of doubts. And he was courageous enough to speak up when most of us just don't say a, a word. But I want you to notice he's at the table. Thomas is sitting right there at the table with the disciples. In other words, his questions did not disqualify him. Praise God, my questions don't disqualify me. I don't know how it all works out, but I believe it does. And even when I don't believe it does, I tell Jesus and I ask him to help my unbelief and he still gets me through the day. We'll be back in just a minute to finish this message. But before we do, I wanted to invite you to pray for us and even attend our 26th annual Crossroads Winter Conference. It's in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. This is a student event for middle school and high school students. And it's gonna be Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. It's gonna be Friday, January the 12th through Sunday, January the 14th. This is an amazing student weekend, a big conference with thousands of kids from all over the Southeast and we'd love for you to come. I'll be preaching there. My wife, Shari, will be there. Our son, Jacob, will be there. Great worship from folks like Charlie Botrago. Great speakers, amazing fellowship. It's gonna be awesome. Go to crossroadswinterconference.com for more information. Crossroadswinterconference.com and you can register your students right now for our winter conference this January in Gatlinburg. else is at the table? All right, we've seen John, right? One who loved Jesus. Thomas, one who doubted Jesus. How about one who denied Jesus? How about that? One who denied Jesus. You know him, Peter. Big mouth Peter. Old country boy with an accent, Peter. That's what they called him. Remember when he was there at the, at the trial of Jesus, Jesus had said to Peter, you're gonna deny me. Peter said, oh, I'll never, ever leave you. I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison for you. I will even die by your side. And Jesus predicted what would happen in the near future. P 
Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter swore he wouldn't do it. And then what did Peter do? He did it. Just like Jesus said. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Can you just back up with me for a second here? In the upper room, they're seated at a table hours before that. Jesus knew Peter would deny him and still invited him to the table. And then a few days later, after Jesus is raised from the dead, the last time Jesus and Peter ate a meal together was at this table, the Passover meal in the upper room, the night Jesus was betrayed. The next time they'll eat a meal together is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, 70 or 80 miles north of Jerusalem in Capernaum where Peter grew up. Jesus shows up early one morning. He cooks breakfast on the shore. He calls out to the disciples from the shore, resurrected Jesus after the crucifixion, after the, the grave. Peter knows it's him. Peter jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. Jesus has fish and bread cooked over a hot charcoal fire. He prepares the meal for Peter and the disciples that are with him. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Then he asked him again, do you love me? Then he asked him a third time, do you love me? Why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter had denied three times that he even knew Jesus. Jesus will give an equivalent amount of grace for your failures. Jesus has an equivalent amount of forgiveness for your mess ups and my sin. And Jesus invited one to the table that would deny him. There's one more person at the table though. And I want you to see this. There is someone at the table who betrayed Jesus and he invited him. There's one there that would betray Jesus for barely $10 worth of cash. 30 pieces of silver, the amount paid for a servant or a slave. Judas, who had spent three and a half years walking with Jesus every day, still didn't know who Jesus was. That means you can go to church your whole life and still miss the gospel. You can have a seminary degree and you can still miss Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus, yet Jesus still invited him to the table. Knowing that Judas would actually make his mind up to do it in the moment he sat there beside Jesus. You mean Jesus invites people that betray him into the kingdom? Well, of course. Who else does he have to invite? <laughs> Who else could he ask? Because even though we all have the ability to love Jesus, I'm gonna tell you straight up, I feel like I spend more of my time questioning Jesus, denying Jesus, betraying Jesus with my thoughts and my actions and my selfishness and my failures and my sin and my pride and my arrogance. Praise God that Jesus invites one to the table that he knew was intending to betray him. Here's the thing about Judas. Judas never really understood who Jesus was. Judas was greedy for money, but Judas was also lusting for power. Judas thought, I'll push Jesus, I'll force his hand. I'll make Jesus retaliate. If I sell him out, they'll come to arrest him and then Jesus will flex on him and Jesus will prove to the whole world exactly who he is. You know what Judas wanted out of the whole deal? He didn't want a new heart. Judas wanted a seat at a different table. This table where they're sitting with Jesus is a place of service. It's a place of sacrifice. You know what Judas wanted? A seat at the table of power. He wanted to use Jesus for his own gain. Make me your secretary of defense in your new administration. Make me the secretary of commerce in your new cabinet. Judas never really understood who Jesus was. 
And Jesus never truly had Judas's heart. So that when Judas realized Jesus did not retaliate to those who crucified him, he hung himself in despair. And that's the difference between Peter and Judas. They're both invited to the table. Peter messes up and receives forgiveness and grace. Judas messes up and takes the weight on himself when grace was there. Oh, and grace was there. Grace was there. Do you know what the scripture tells us in John 13? The scripture says that Jesus is sitting there talking. He says, one of you is gonna betray me. John is sitting right beside Jesus and Peter is sitting right beside John. And Peter, who never had a question he didn't like, leans over to John and says, ask Jesus who it's gonna be, who's gonna betray him. Just ask him, he's right there. He loves you, ask him, you're his pet, ask him. John leans over and says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus says, it's the person that I dip the bread into the, into the plate and hand it to him. There's a lot that we don't understand as Westerners 2000 years removed from this, but I wanna show you what this really meant. It was as if Jesus took a piece of bread and he did. This is what they would do. Remember, this is the Passover dinner, the Passover meal. The Paschal lamb had been prepared. This is probably the sauce that the Paschal lamb was cooked in, olive oil and herbs. And imagine Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And what does the Bible say that Jesus did? Some translations say he dipped it in a cup, some say a plate. Jesus took that bread and the only one who knew what he was doing was John, his, most, his best friend. Jesus dips it in that plate or that cup and he hands it to Judas. This was no, not just a symbol of what Judas was gonna do, identifying him to John. If you understand Jewish culture and table fellowship, Jesus, the bread of life, who was about to be broken for Judas' sins, takes a piece of bread and breaks it with the hands that are about to be pierced with nails. And as he dips that bread into the cup, symbolic of the hyssop branch being dipped into the blood of a lamb thousands of years earlier at the original Passover when the Jews were about to be delivered from their slavery to Egypt, he dips that cup into that, he dips that bread into that cup. He hands it to Judas, which was the most intimate form of fellowship you could offer someone. It was as if Jesus was saying, if I could paraphrase, Judas, you don't have to do this. There's a better way. Money will never buy you what you're looking for. Power will never satisfy you. I'm offering you my body and my blood, brother. I'm offering you my body and my blood, friend. I'm gonna love you to the end. And isn't it just like Jesus to keep offering grace? To just keep coming back over and over and over and over and over and over again to tell you, if you love me, you got a seat at the table. If you doubt me, you got a seat at the table. If you've ever denied me, you've got a seat at the table. If you have ever betrayed me, you've got a seat at the table. It is not your good works that get you a seat at this table. It is my work on the cross that I finished. It is done. Come and sit down and feast around the table with what I prepare for you. Judas, there's a better way. And Judas took the bread and he ate it. And the devil entered into him, John says, and he went out and he betrayed the Lord. You know the beautiful thing? That bread is still offered to you. I wanna ask you this question. Which one of these four do you relate to right now? 
Because I tell you, honestly, I can relate to all four of them at different seasons in my life. And no matter which one you are or which one you have been or which one you will be at some season of your life, you're invited to the table. Be encouraged, my friend. It is not your good works that get you into heaven. It's God's grace. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. So whatever mistakes you've made, however many times you feel like you've let God down, hear me say this, He loves you. And He can forgive you if you'll repent. He can save you if you ask. And I hope that Jesus Christ feels close to you right now. I hope He is real to you right now. Call on His name, ask Him to help you, especially if you need to know that He loves you, because He does. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.